0: John chapter 12 is the Passion Week of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We will be moving through this Passion Week a little bit. My primary text I'd like to look at for a few moments is found in uh, verse 31, but I'd like to kind of move through this. We're, We're actually breaking into a time when the Lord Jesus has gone into Jerusalem and he has already cleansed the temple. And now we have a segment of time in which he's speaking to his Jewish disciples there in Jerusalem, and this whole, uh, this whole scenario, this whole uh, message that he's giving to them is in preparation for them. It's for them to recognize, it's for them to realize. Of course, he's God, he knows everything from the beginning, but he's letting them know uh, what is going to take place. And so we pick it up in chapter 12, John chapter 12, and just a couple of passages together in verses 23 and 24. Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Truly, truly, I say unto you, except the grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He's just simply informing his disciples that his passion is coming But because of his passion will come a a fruit of harvest, the harvest of souls. And that's the whole purpose and plan of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that harvest of souls. He's the first fruits of those who died. That is, he'll be the first one to go to glory, and those who believe in his substitutionary atonement will then follow him into glory because of his death. He is that grain that will fall into the ground and allowing his disciples... You know, of course, through the scriptures, because of his death, we have been made free. What a wonderful statement. He continues on to tell them, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth uh, his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. For the Christian, for you and I, death is really a natural process, but it's the ultimate humiliation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the process of death is very difficult. Remember, Paul called this body the body of death. Uh, when you're younger, you think you're going to escape that because you're feeling good. And, uh, you know, when you get up in the morning, you feel just as good as when you hit the bed and all that business. But a- as you grow older, a- as uh, perhaps an illness starts to, to control your body, uh, it can become discouraging in its limitations. It can really uh, bring you down a lot, and uh, we recognize that and realize that, but it's a natural process of life. God has numbered the days that man will live upon the earth, and he has the number to that. He's the one in control of that. So it's really the uh, ultimate humiliation in this body, While well, I'm in this body, but yet I'll be free from this body of sin, the scriptures tell us. So that's the expectation I'm to have, and the Lord Jesus lets us know, lets all of us know, that he that loves this life shall lose it. Essentially, that we are going to receive the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls, we read in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. He brought in that glory, that so I sit back and I'm having trouble physically, I'm having trouble financially, I'm having trouble mentally, whatever the case is, yet ultimately because I know him and I'm in him and he is in me, one day all this will be passed, one day it will all be gone. And so what am I going to do, grab to this life? No, no, eternal life is with him, I'm to set my affections on things above, not on things below. Yes, I have a family. Yes, I have friends. Yes, I have a home and a car and all that business, a job. That's all true, but this is only temporary. This is for a little while. And yet a little while, things will pass away, the scriptures tell us. Remember the Lord Jesus said in John, look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into the world. That was his purpose, you see. That was his purpose. So in his death, we might have life. So we want to we go beyond what we think of this life being and look to that which is above. Yes, I, every one of us has responsibilities here, and we recognize that, and we do not throw them to the side, but we want to make sure that our focus is on him and what he has to say. Okay, for the believer then, what must we do? Because he has delivered us, from this present world, remember he that hates his life in this world, because he has delivered us from this present world. It's an interesting statement. First John one two twelve. I'm sorry, two fifteen tells us, and I'm not going to have you turn there. We'll be looking at some passages in a moment. But First John two fifteen tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then in Galatians 6.14, Paul says this, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Recognize this world, the the way the New Testament writers have seen it, the way our Lord Jesus Christ looks at it. We're immersed in it, and yet God tells us you shouldn't love these things. That is a love that's over our love of him, our concern for him, our our looking forward to being with him. Don't love the world. Of course, the ultimate passage is, is seen in James, and I won't have you turn there. You can look it up at another time. Friendship of the world is in opposition to God. Imagine that. Friendship of this world is in opposition to God whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Wow, that's strong language. Okay, but I didn't say it. James did. (laughs) You have to take it up with him. These are fascinating passages. But when you think of yourself and you look at the ads on television and you look at the newspapers and you hear the radio and you just look around you, you can see people are immersed in this present age. They're buried in it. This is their life. This is their soul. This is their whole being. Why? They do not know the God of all glory. And unfortunately, quite unfortunately, some Christians get caught up with the world, don't they? They really do. Even some of us at times get caught up with the things of this world. That's why we're to set our affections on things above, not on things of this world. Now in verse 26, the Lord says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am... There also shall my servant be, if any man serve me, him will the father honor. So the Lord is just simply letting us know, believers must then submit to God, to submit to our Lord, to recognize we need to be followers of him and not the world round about us, not the situation round about us, with to submit and to suffer and to sustain spiritual death to self, to self. Denying those things sometimes that 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 would be just pleasurable. Why? There's more important things to concentrate on. This Brian mentioned. It's the end of August, in the middle of August. we we're, we're gonna. It's gonna be snowing pretty soon. Horrible, horrible thought. So what? What is? Well, well, this time I'm gonna get away. I'm gonna get away. Well, no one's blaming you for that. It's good to do that. But you're gonna get away from God. Some people do that. Some people, do. they take the summer off from the Lord. Why? The summer is short. Can I add this? But life is short. Life is short. You're wasting time. You're wasting time. At sooner or later, you're going to come and appear before him. What if it's tomorrow? What if it's tomorrow? So we must sometimes suffer in this world. Why? Because this world is just temporal. It's just a small thing. It's a temporary thing. And we need to recognize in the, in the economy of time that it's a drop in the bucket compared to what we shall be with him in glory forever and ever. And so I won't have you turn there, but again in Romans 6, 1 through 10, we're to die to ourselves. Paul said, I die daily. And it's interesting. Every day submitting to the Lord. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 just simply tells us this. He died in our place. Essentially, when you trust on the Lord Jesus Christ as the only source of your uh, salvation, you, when he died, you died with him. When he was buried, you were buried with him. When he was raised in newness of life, you were raised with him. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away and all things have become new. What a great, great position we have in him. So we are his servants, And for that, we need to recognize that, well, Lord, if I'm your servant, then what you say matters, not necessarily what I say. Again, I have to live in this world, I function in this world, I go to work in this world, I have a family, I have friends, I have all that, but are they more important than the Lord? And every one of us has to deal with that. And so our Lord says in verse 27 now, this is a perplexing, a perplexing verse, he says, in verse 27, Now was my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into the world. His soul was troubled. It's an interesting passage. Now, there are a lot you can do with this, but several passages of indication here have to do, why was his soul troubled? Well, the Lord told us, in this world, you shall have Troubles. Why? Because the whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one, obviously. But why was his soul troubled? Was he concerned about death? Well, I have to believe yes. Remember, he was fully God and fully man. Was he concerned about the suffering of the cross? Well, I would have to say somewhat. He's going to be beaten more than any man, the scriptures tell us. His body's going to be totally torn in so much as his blood will run down the cross. an Amazing, amazing thing. So, yes, there's somewhat of that, but he knows the end from the beginning. He knows following that small period of time will come eternal glory. He knows that. So why was his soul troubled? Well, I would have to say, if you compare the scriptures there with 2 Corinthians 5.21, why was his soul troubled? Because he who knew no sin would become sin for us. Taking on, the sin of the world. My sin wasn't in him, it was on him. He he bore the price of of my sin. And that the Father would um, hang the iniquity of us all, the scriptures say, upon him. And then I think ultimately, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, when he cries from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we can't understand this completely, but at that time it appears as if uh, because of his taking on this, the, the sins of the world, I, I say it only appears because it's so hard to understand, the father turned his face from him, from his son. Why? Because he took on the sins of the world. I would believe that's why his soul was troubled, not because of the death, although death is troubling. Um, going through uh, the process of death sometimes for some people is troubling. Uh, My wife and I are involved in the food pantry, and there's a a picture of a dear, sweet lady that came to this church quite a number of years ago. Her name was Betty. And she died uh, on her feet instantaneously. She fell to the ground, and she never regained consciousness, and she died uh, just a few days later. A woman of God, instantly in the presence of the Lord. Some hang on a little bit longer. So the process of death is troubling, obviously. But the reality of life everlasting is a moment away. Just a moment away. Some people seemingly suffer for a long time, others suffer for a little time, but the process is just a moment away. And so the purpose of our Lord coming is so that we would, after that process of of losing this life, we'll have eternal life with him. Remember, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I love him, recognizing that his place was with the Father in glory. So now, the Lord Jesus talks about his separation. Look at chapter 12 and verse 28. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. It's a wonderful, wonderful statement. Uh, Look at verse 29, the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it's thundering. Others said an angel spoke to him. Not completely understanding, not completely clear, and you have that several times in the scriptures. I won't bother to look at them all with you, but let me make a few plain. For example, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 9, Uh, When the Spirit of God came upon the Lord Jesus, remember, when he was baptized, uh, the Spirit came, and the Father said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Incredible voice from heaven. Matthew 17, 5, upon the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter said, we're going to build some real big churches up here. That's what people do. They build religious stuff when they feel religious. Let me build a religious thing. God will be pleased with that. Remember in the Psalms, God says, I own everything. You're going to build me a house? I dwell everywhere. I own everything. You think you're going to feed me? You think I'm indebted to you? Just to shock men out of their complacency. I've heard people say, I'm sure you have heard people say, if it wasn't for me, oh, You must be really something, sir. Thank you for that. If it wasn't for you, what? God would be limited? God would not be able to function if it wasn't for you? No, no, no. See, we need to recognize that we belong to him. It's all about him. It's not all about us. So the father cries out. Now in Philippians, I won't, uh, again, we won't look at this. God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow before him. So the Father speaks from heaven. His Son is being glorified uh, by the Father. It's interesting because the the thunderous voice. Now, every time you hear God speaking in the scriptures, there seems to be this thunderous voice uh, I won't have you turn there again, but in Ezekiel, uh, it says the voice of God is like the roaring of the wings of the cherubim. Remember when the cherubim went into the temple to remove the Shekinah glory out of the temple uh, when uh, Solomon's temple was falling. Uh, God removed the Shekinah glory from there. And it says the, their wings were like a roaring, almost like we live here at the airport. I know when it's 530. <laughs> I can tell. Some of those things go uh, very high and very quiet, and a couple of them try to knock the chimney off the top of our house when they go by. Uh, Roaring. That's what the wings of cherubs sound like when they picked up the Shekinah glory, and they said it was like the voice of God, a roaring. It's also been described as like the thunder, the voice of many waters. I went to Maine hunting one time. We went way, way in the woods, and... There's a waterfall there. We didn't find it, but it's the first time I ever seen it. And I was standing with my friend hunting, and he was talking to me, and I could not hear him. The thunder of the water coming over and just crashing into the rock's below, Thunderous, thunderous sound. Incredible. So we have uh, uh, this voice of God speaking, and it's interesting because many, many of the disciples and uh, apostles, in some cases, could not understand what that voice said. They wondered, who, what was that? Was it thunder? Was it a voice? And yet God lets us know He's speaking clearly uh, to these individuals, a, a clear voice, an audible voice, but not all understood. Now in John chapter 12 and verse 30, John 12:30, Jesus answered and said, "This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes." An interesting statement. It was an authentication from the Father to the disciples for them to recognize that the Lord Jesus was the one. In case there was any doubt in anyone's mind, in case there was any question about anything, uh, that he was the one. Remember, the Lord Jesus said about the Father in, in John 11, when he was going to raise... Uh, Lazarus from the dead, he prayed to the Father. said, Father, I know that you always hear me, always hear me. You know what's interesting about that? You and I have the same privilege. Can you imagine that? I have the same privilege that the Lord Jesus Christ had in that God hears me always. The book of Hebrews, again, well, I'm not going to have you turn that because we'll be turning in a moment, but the book of Hebrews tells us that we can go boldly into the throne room of grace. And God will hear our voice. You know, I often, when I was first become a Christian, I went, well, how, can, how can God hear my voice? There's so many people talking to him all the time. He hears me individually. He hears me when I speak with him. He is, his ears are open to my prayer by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when we ask anything, we to ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ why he's the power we go through he's the source we go through he's the savior and so we have the same the same privilege our Lord Jesus Christ had when we speak to God the Father the Father hears him always always Verse 31 is where we want to camp out now just for a moment. Get your fingers ready. I want you to turn to a couple of pages with me, a couple of passages. But verse 31, the Lord is speaking. Remember, it's only a few days until his passion, till the cross. And he makes this statement in verse 31, number 8 in your notes. He says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. An incredible statement. The judgment of this world, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Now, I want you to think through this with me as a Christian, please. There are several places in the scriptures that God says some things that seem to be contradicted by other things. For example, we have power over the devil, do we not? We have power. We have been saved from the power, from the powers of the devil. So we have an ability, that is, over the wicked one. However, God tells us you must resist the wicked one. We have power over him. That is, we've been saved from the wrath to come. We've been saved from the power of the uh, evil one. And yet, I must resist him. It seems like there's two different truths. I read a book quite a while ago. Uh, when, when different movements were trying to enter into the church, I'm talking about back in the 70s, different movements were trying to enter the church and trying to cripple the church, and it was new evangelicalism at its best. We all need to get together, and this guy doesn't believe in the deity of Christ, this guy doesn't believe this guy, this guy doesn't, but we need to get together. Get together for what? You don't believe half the Bible. A man named Harold Lindzel wrote a book, Battle for the Bible. Intriguing book. Unfortunately, he fell prey to the same to the very book that he wrote. But anyway, uh, Harold Linzel said this: that there are uh, it's an, an antinomy, an antinomy, and an antinomy is this. It's simply this: what seems to be a contradiction between two truths <clears throat> is really two truths in and of themselves that run parallel which we discussed a little bit yesterday morning uh, with the minute, at the sad, Saturday morning meeting. Two truths that run parable, parallel. They run side by side. They never seem to meet in our eyes, but they only meet in God's eyes somewhere. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, you say, well, that can't be. Okay, well, then explain to me the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ and the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was fully God, completely and fully God. And yet, he was completely and fully man at the same time. Two parallels. They meet in God's mind, and we come up with things. Uh, there used to be a guy around here who used to call it the great hypostatic union. You know, Okay, call it what you want. You still can't explain it. You still can't explain it. It's God, fully God and fully man at the same time. Like railroad tracks. We're looking down railroad tracks, and they don't meet. They don't meet. In God's mind, though, they meet. In our mind. Other things like that, for example, uh, um, uh, well, a big topic is election and uh, free will. They're there in the scriptures. There they run side by side, side by side. And you can hop on this side of the track if you want. You can hop on that side of the track if you want. But these are parallel tracks that they run, and uh, putting them together is difficult. So now we want to look at this passage of scripture just for a few moments. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler or prince of this world be cast out. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the head of all principality and power. That's without question. And yet he allows Satan, he allows latitude with Satan. Satan cannot go beyond the boundary line but he has he given some latitude within that boundary line. It's like when you tell your children, okay, uh, you can play in this yard here, and we have to string up rope across here because crackpots fly through here. You know, like there's no one around. And so we have to put up lines out here. But, okay, kids, you can, you can play, but don't go beyond this gate here because the traffic here is terrible. People, you don't know what go- happens here. People come in here, and they spin around a circle, and they zip out again. And Because no one wants to go to the corner up here because it's hard to get out onto Elmwood Ave. they'll, They'll come flying through the churchyard. Incredible things. Well, you tell your children, okay, you can play down here. There's a boundary set, you see. Yes, you can play in the yard. Yes, you can have all this area. But you can't go beyond that boundary there because it's dangerous beyond that boundary. And so God does that with Satan. Satan, you have a boundary. And all you need to do is read the book of Job, and you'll see that. And that the Lord, uh, Job said, I I want to touch his body. He'll curse you. Yeah, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. You can touch what he has, but you can't touch him. Those types of things, this latitude given to Satan, but within boundaries. Now, we need to recognize that Satan is a living, walking, defeated soul, uh, they, there was a couple of movies out, not too many, well, quite a few years ago, I guess, in A Dead Man Walking, you've heard that. Guy's headed to, to uh, a, 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 cha- a death chamber, uh, but he's still alive at the time. He's, he's dead while he's yet living because he's headed to his death. And so the, Satan is alive and, and, and working on planet Earth today, but he is predestined to eternal damnation, eternal hell. And you could look at that in Genesis chapter 3. He, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so Satan is a defeated foe, and yet he's still functioning in this world because that was prophetic. It's going to happen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I want you to see this. This is a fascinating passage, Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, we read this about a Satan and the Lord's speaking here. Remember, the disciples have been sent out, and they have, they have just experienced tremendous, tremendous joy in that they were able to do all kinds of uh, uh, healings and, and everything else. And they come back to our Lord Jesus, and they're excited about that. But the Lord tells them in verse 17, And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us through thy name. Remember, they were doing many sign miracles. They went out representing Christ, and they were able to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. They were able to do all these miraculous things, and they come back, and they're shocked that they can even cast out demons. Demonic uh, Demonism in that day was rampant, and it was manifested through uh, through freakishness. It's not that way in our dispensation, but it was... Manifest through freakishness, the, the foaming of the mouth, the th- trying to drown oneself, throwing oneself in a fire, screaming out at the tombs, all this shook up the establishment, everyone that was there. But in our day, of course, we're so much more sophisticated, we wouldn't fall prey to it. If someone was foaming at the mouth, we'd give him a few injections, and put him somewhere for a while, foaming at the mouth, the guy needs to be institutionalized. But see, in our day, Satan has taken a different track. Beware, Paul tells us. He's an angel of light, a minister of darkness. See, so He's taken a different form today. Same guy, just has a suit on, you see. Same guy, just is a little more dignified, but the same failure is at, it, at hand. And so when, we, when they say the demons are subject to us, listen to what the Lord Jesus is picking up there in verse 19, in 18. And he said unto them, the Lord Jesus Christ, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. What in the world does that mean? Well, you have to search it through. I give you a couple of passages of scripture to look at. But he beheld Satan fall as lightning. That is past when he fell from the glory of his angelic position, But it's also future when he shall be cast out of heaven in the book of the Revelation. So there's there's a past to that and there's a future to that where Satan is ultimately defeated, ultimately defeated. But in the meantime, he reigns supreme here on earth. He's walking around. He's the prince of the power of the airs, He's the god of this world. He reigns supreme in this world. And yet he's a defeated foe. And there are some people out there, and I, I mention this all the time because I've heard it. I've heard it said by people, even Christians who should know better. They rebuke the devil. What are you doing? That's not for you to do. Even Michael, the archangel, said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> the Lord rebuke you. Now, we're, again, we're in, a, we're in a day now where God tells us that we need to resist Don't give him a breath. Don't give him a word. Just resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do we overcome the devil? By faith, the scriptures tell us. But when um, Michael the archangel stood before uh, Satan, he said, the Lord rebuke you when Satan was contending with him for the body of, of Moses. So we, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, need to recognize that, yes, We have uh, God's glory dwelling within us. We are subject to him. We are his servants. We have been uh, given power, if you would, over the devil, to resist him, that is. But yet, there's going to be times around us when this attack will be on us. It's just going to be there. Because Satan is not interested in the world. He already has that. He wanted to give that to the Lord Jesus Christ. That belongs to him. Unsaved people are doing exactly what he wants them to do. He doesn't even need to prompt them. Why? Because they were born in sin, the scriptures tell us. So he doesn't have to attack them. What does he attack? He attacks the church. He attacks believers individually. Let's look at a couple passages. Head with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. You and I need to be careful. We need to be very careful concerning the devil in that we need to make sure that we are not ignorant, Paul says, of his devices. Don't be ignorant of his devices. Recognize that he works through the world and by the world and in the world to cause Christians to be tripped up, to be cause, cause Christians to trip tripped up. 2 Corinthians 2, look at verse 11. Again, we're breaking into context here, but you can read the context As we go through, 2 Corinthians 2.11. Paul's talking about forgiveness. And it's among this is in a church. These are believers who don't like one another. What? These are believers who literally hate one another in in many ways, do things to aggravate one another. Imagine a church like that. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? It happens among us. It happens to us. It happens in us. Why? Because that's our natural bent, you see get even. That's called the old man. That's why Paul says to put off the old man and put on the new. That's the old man created in corruption. Corruption. We're in Second 2 Corinthians 2.11. He says in verse 10, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive it also. For if you forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the persons of Christ. Paul said, I'm representing the Lord here. But notice what he says, verse uh Verse eleven, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Recognize that there's an ability there, there's a there's a there's a power there. Recognize there's there's a there's a an enemy there that will try to use his devices to trip you up as a Christian. And it can happen to any of us at any time. And you know how the world sees that. The world sees that as a joke. The world sees that as something to ridicule. Dr. Carl F. Henry uh, was a great preacher of old. And he was at a street meeting one time preaching the gospel of Christ. And uh, at the street meeting, uh, one of the crowd stood up and, and was mocking him. And he starts screaming out, where did Cain get his wife? It's a question unsaved people ask. Where did Cain get his wife? So Henry didn't want to be taken off the subject of Christ and salvation. He said, well, when I get to heaven, uh, I'll ask him. And the guy screamed back, well, what, what if he's not in heaven? And Dr. Henry said, then you ask him. <laughs> huh? Pretty good, huh? <coughs> then if he's not in heaven, then he's where you're going to be, unless you listen to this message. Wonderful, wonderful statement. But the world mocks that. They make fun of that. They say uh, things about hell. They make a joke out of hell. Why do they make a joke out of hell? Because they want to make it funny, but it's not. Read about hell. and change your life. Don't just listen to what people say, but read about hell. Get a concordance and read about it. Out of darkness. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. Forever. Pain that will not go away. It's not a joke, but the world makes fun of it. The world makes fun of Christians too, right? And we're not a joke. Some Christians act like they're a joke, but we're not a joke. We represent the king. The king of kings and... Lord of lords, but Satan's attacking. Now, I won't have you turn to it because we have somewhat of a mixed audience here, but recognize um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 5, you can read it for yourself. It talks about husband and wife relationships. And then Paul talks about uh, defrauding one another. And then he said, be careful lest Satan take advantage of us. Be careful in your marital positions. Lest Satan take advantage of us. Head with me to 1 Thessalonians 2, please. 1 Thessalonians 2. So we have that parallelism. We've been been saved from the powers of darkness. And yet, God wants us to make sure, make very, very sure, that we are not falling prey to the wiles of the devil. 1 Thessalonians 2. Look with me, please, at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 2.18. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is speaking, and he says in verse 18, Wherefore, talking to the church of Thessalonica, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. What? Satan can hinder the apostle Paul at something? And you think you can't be? You think you're beyond that? Satan wanted to get the Paul wanted to get to the Thessalonica, and Satan hindered him. What, what's going on? I have a passage for you to read. I won't have you turn there now. But in the book of Daniel in chapter 10 is a fascinating, fascinating section. We've been through it during our Sunday school hour. If you weren't there, you should have been. Uh, but uh, it, it has to do with Daniel. Daniel prayed uh, about some visions that God had given him. And he was in full prayer, he said, for 21 days. No answer. No answer. How long do you pray about things and give up? For some things, i got to admit to you, it goes out of my mind, I forget it. It wasn't answered. It wasn't answered. But there are many, many things that I just keep bringing before the Lord now for years and years and years and years I bring before the Lord and I still don't have an answer yet. Then... I read in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, back many years ago. If you see it, God has commissioned an angel to go and to speak to Daniel. And in the process of that angel going to speak to Daniel, Satan sends a demon to stop him. And that demon is successful until the angel retrieves Michael. And then Michael and that angel go and fight that demon, and the angel is now released to give Daniel the prayer. For 21 days, the angel said, I came to answer, but I was hindered. See, you're praying about something. The answer is going to come. It's not necessarily going to come in your time. When you open the window of, of spiritual beings principalities and powers, angels, when you open that window, you just, we get a slight peek into what's going on there, a battle, a battle. And God was victorious in all things. He works everything according to the purpose of his own will, but recognize that Satan wants to hinder believers, and he is successful. Head with me, please, to the book of 1 Timothy 4.1. I'm bringing in our time quickly. 1 Timothy four, one. Though Satan is a vanquished foe, he is fighting for his life. He's fighting for his life. He doesn't think he's vanquished. Satan does not know all things. Only God does. The only reason he can be victorious is he practices a lot. See, if I do this to this type of Christian who always does these things, he's going to fall this way. He knows the scheme. Demons... His his angels know the scheme. We're in Second Timothy chapter two. Uh, look, please at verses twenty four through twenty six. Paul's talking to Christians, talking to Timothy specifically, and he's talking to him about the church. This is apparently Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, and Paul says in Second Timothy chapter two, verses uh, twenty. Did I say? Uh, did I say First Timothy? Okay, go to four one. As long as you're there and made that mistake, Second <clears throat> Timothy four one. I mean, First Timothy four <clears throat> one. Take that off the disc or tape or whatever you do with it. Okay, First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, speaks expressly. That is clearly, closely, the Spirit is speaking clearly, continually, that in the latter times, shams shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Some shall depart from the faith. They end the faith. They then leave it. For what? Seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. They get away from the word of God for what? This present world and what they give. Incredible, incredible thought. Head with me to 2 Timothy 2 in verse 24 now. Second <clears throat> Timothy 2, 24. Talking about Timothy's position again at Ephesus, I presume. Paul talking about that to Timothy. He's letting Timothy know his responsibility. But in that, we read something that's fascinating. 2 Timothy 2 uh, and verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, in meekness instructing those that oppose him, or literally themselves, These people are actually in opposition to the church and themselves and everything. They're just greatly confused, notice. And meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth from that sin. Verse 26. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. See, an unsaved person cannot recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. They have to believe to do that. But Christians can be caught in and captivated by the devil. How does that start? A lot of times it's self-pity. You start feeling bad for yourself. Now, if anyone has a reason to feel bad for themselves, I do, more than any of you in this place. Isn't that the way you think sometimes? Well, I think that way sometimes, too. I have a boo-boo, you know. I have a problem. You don't know what my life used to be like. We could make each other cry with our problems, but you know what? If you give in to them, it's the snare of the devil. Self-pity brings all kinds of problems with it. It brings all kinds of situations, and you can be taken captive by the devil at his will, unless you walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. It's a battle. It's a battle. And we're in it. It's one of those, I've been, I've been saved from the wrath to come. That's true. I've been delivered from the powers of darkness. That's true. But God tells me I must resist. How do I do that? By the word of God. It's the only way. It's the only way you can do it. That's it. James chapter 4 and verse 7, please. James 4, 7. James is speaking, of course, to the, this is the early church now, early first century church, probably mostly Jews. This is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. He ends up being the head of the Jerusalem church. But in James chapter 4, notice in verse 7, very interesting passage of scripture. We read this, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil. I have counseled with many, many Christians in my lifetime who have tried to resist the devil while not submitting to God. Many of them. You can't do it. You can't do it. They want to clean up their act a little, and they think things will go better. No, no. That's not how it works. You must submit yourself unto God. How do you do that? Delighting in his word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, the scriptures tell us. So there is this antinomy running, these two parallel lines. Yes, I've been saved from the power. I've been saved from the wrath to come. I've been saved from that. I can resist the devil, but I have to do it. I can't sit back and say, God, do it to me. No, no, because every day you're going to face it. It's going to come into your life every day. Lord, I need strength. I need help in this situation every day. My biggest enemy is me. How about you? Is my biggest enemy. Oh, I have a lot of people that don't like me. The longer you teach God's word, the more people are going to not like you. I don't know why that is exactly. Paul said, the more... I love the less I be loved. That's what happens when you teach God's truth. We need to pray for Pastor Rob. We need to pray for the elders of our church, for the deacons. Why? Because if they tell anyone what God says, it gets them upset sometimes. It does. It really does. People get upset at you. Who do you think you are? No one. I'm just telling you what God said. That's all you can do. And you want to do it in love. You want to do it in kindness. And sometimes your flesh flares up. and The whole business that goes with that. But recognize that the devil is a vanquished foe. We we don't have to fear and tremble in the counter, in the corner. Why? Because he's vanquished. The Lord Jesus Christ did that, of course. In Matthew chapter 4, I won't have you turn there. He resisted the temptations of Satan. He was brought up specifically into the wilderness for what? To be tested by the devil. And what happened? Completely through it. Completely through it. He overcame the wicked one so that our reliance might be upon him and not another person. You see, you you start trusting another person. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps, and that's great, but they're still subject to the old man. We can't trust that. We can only trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, uh, he was outside of sin, the book of Hebrews tells us. In John, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, please, just for a moment. So remember that parallelism, if you would. Remember that, yes, the the truth is there that I've been saved from the wrath to come. I've been delivered from the powers of darkness. I'm able to resist this present world, but I have to do that. I have to put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I have to apply that to my life each and every day. It's not putting on a literal object. It's putting on the spiritual object, which is the Word of God. When are 1 John 3. I want you to look at uh, verse, uh, well, let's just look at verse 8, please. 1 John 3, 8. We read this. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sent us from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. See that? You can't do it. He can. That's why he was made manifest. For this purpose came I into the world. For what? The death of the cross, that he he can give unto us eternal life. And in that new creation, the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we now have the authority to resist the devil. We can do it. We can do it. Why? Through the power of the word of God. Through the power of the word of God. Through his work, of course, on the cross, his death on the cross, he destroyed the devil's work. Well, I, I, out of time, I've heard people mocking. I, I I heard an old-time preacher one time. I had to laugh, and you just kind of live with this just for a moment. There was an old-time preacher, and... He was at the end of the sermon and um, said, for the wicked, there will be a wailing and gnashing, weeping and gnashing of teeth for the wicked in hell. And one of the guys in the audience jumped up and said, well, what about those who don't have any teeth? (laughs) And this old-time preacher said, then teeth will be provided. (laughs) (laughs) The world... The world makes fun of hell, and we can have some fun, but we're talking about serious business here. We're talking about a life that should be lived in godliness that often we turn over to the wicked one. So let's pray for each other, if we could, please. And I have on the back page, I won't have you turn to these, Satan and his ultimate destruction. He will be ultimately cast into the lake of fire where the false prophet, the wicked one, the the devil and his false prophet, and the man of sin will be forever and ever. And that's where unbelieving people will be in that lake of fire forever and ever. Just one quick report, because I'm the assistant pastor here, and you may wonder, but I, will not, I, will be, I won't be around an awful lot for the next couple of months. I have uh, two uh, necessary surgeries that I, I have to undergo, and I would certainly appreciate your prayer. So I'll be in and out, but uh, it will be limited uh, over the next couple of months. So if you'll pray for me, and I'll pray for you, that we might resist the devil and he will flee from us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time and the word. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. Father, we read just a a portion of the day in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there's such rich truths there that we just scratch the surface of. And so, Father, instead instead of the world, help us to concentrate upon you. Lord, we're busy people. We're busier than we've ever been, and yet, Lord, we seem to accomplish less and less. So, Father, help us to set our affection on things above, not on things below, because we're only sojourners and pilgrims in this, in this world. One day it's all going to pass away, and the lusts of it will pass away with it, but he that does the will of God will abide forever. Father, help us to do your will, to follow you, and not to give in to the wiles of the devil. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.